Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Retail vape shops are the beating heart of the U.S. vaping industry. Thousands of shops dot the American landscape, servicing millions of people who desperately seek a safer alternative to smoking. In fact, over the past decade, U.S. vape shops have helped over 10 million Americans to quit smoking. But as our viewers know, all is not well in the United States. Vaping is under assault, and the impact is stark when looking at the vape shop level. Joining us today are vape shop owners Danny Gillis and Chris Lutz, President and Vice President of the Venerable Tennessee Smoke-Free Association. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for, thanks having, us. for having us. Well, it's good to see you both. I wanted to bring you on to drill down on the health of vape shops in the U.S. and to talk about the pushback your organization is leading out of Tennessee. Danny, let's start with you. Tell us, how are your shops doing and what's been the biggest hit to your business? Actually, our shops are doing very well. Um, since the uh, 2019 uh, Valley crisis, which we all know is THC carts, uh, we had a downfall in that fourth quarter. And uh, then, of course, COVID hit. But uh, once that drilled through, uh, actually, our shops started to uh, thrive. And every year since then, they've been uh, doing much better and better. We've been seeing numbers getting better and better. I can tell you that Tennessee is probably the largest amount of vapors in the country in this state. So that actually helps us. Uh, but my shops in particularly have been doing very well. And um, I'll speak more about the TSFA shops as we get further along. But uh, my wife and I and our business is, is, is actually thriving. So we're very, very proud of that. And we're very happy that uh, we have a strong client base that is very well educated. And Chris, I mean, how long have you been in the business? What brought you to vaping and how are the shops doing? So Broadway Vapors has been here for nine years. It was actually, we celebrate 10 years this year. Um, I've been the owner of this shop for the past six years. Uh, I started vaping in 2015. This was a shop that I stopped smoking in. So uh, it's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, previous owners are struggling. So I ended up taking it over uh, from them. And kind of like Danny suggested, 2019, the last quarter was tough. We had 25 to 30% dip in sales. Going into COVID was uh, also a little bit tough, but we stayed open uh, and got through the little the first quarter of that year, 2020. And then we just kind of started growing from there. We actually set a sales record that year and the year after and the year after. So we've been, we are tracking and growing kind of like what Danny said, we're just thriving as well. And, and we're actually blessed. We actually opened another store uh, last summer. So we're trying to expand more. Well, that's amazing. Um, Danny, the Tennessee Smoke-Free Association is legendary in the fight for vaping. Uh, Dimitri Agrafiotis, a.k.a. the Vaping Greek, is a frequent guest on our show and obviously a fearless advocate for vaping. Tell us about what's going on with the TSFA. Well, I tell you, it was uh, it was kind of a an excited time for for Dimitri. Um, he did step down as the uh, the main man. He is doing advocacy hardcore to this day. We love and appreciate everything he's done for the TSFA. So I want to make sure everybody knows that we miss him and we love him. Uh, since we've taken over the board, we actually unified as a shop owners board. So the board of the TSFA is now all shop owners. And I would say that uh, the past four or five months has been very, very difficult uh, trying to get everything organized, put together. I think it's very important that any organization that's out there, uh, if they're formed or not formed, that if they do decide to form or if they are formed now, they should have shop owners on their board leading their organization and working with a lobbyist team. 
Uh, I've learned a lot more in these last five months since I've taken over as president, because uh, I was just a member for seven or eight years, and uh, I got thrusted into the role uh, as uh, things started to develop. And um, I think uh, the TSFA is very strong, it's very healthy. We have over 70 shops that we represent, plus manufacturers that are in our organization. And um, overall, uh, the organization is uh, staying very ahead of what's happening. We're working diligently day by day. But I would say the biggest takeoff of any organization, especially the TSFA, you've got to get a relationship with your state reps and you've got to have vape shop owners representing your organization. If not, you're going to fail. I mean, that's just, there's no other way around it. I think it's great to have strong advocates out there, but if they don't have skin in the game and they're not sitting behind uh, their cash register at the end of the day, counting the money, making sure everything flows, they don't really have that uh, that drive. And I'm not saying that, you know, don't take me wrong, this has nothing to do with any of the, the federal advocates out there that don't own shops. I'm talking about state orgs right now. Uh, you really have to have skin in the game. Chris and I talked heavily about this. It, it means a lot when the legislators hear it straight from the owners. And I believe that the board, uh, being as strong as we are with the shop owners, I think uh, the TSFA is going in a very strong direction. Your state has dodged a few bullets in the past when it comes to legislation, and you just dodged a bullet recently. Tell us about that state bill that you just pushed back against. That bill was actually put forth from the convenience lobbyist. And we knew about this bill several months ago, and it was a drafted bill and uh, had a couple of uh, sponsors, uh, obviously a senator and a state rep. And the bill was, uh, they say it was a convenience store lobbyist bill, but it wasn't. It was an RJR pushed bill. Uh, it went through many amendments. Uh, I could talk a little bit of detail. I, I really don't want to go in too much because uh, there's still a little bit of time with legislation, but I can tell you that they were trying to preempt the federal government with the PMTA. They were putting that in a bill that uh, the products that we wanted to sell in our shops had to go through authorization or be an authorization, had to be on the market before 2016. There was a seven cents per ML tax charge in there, which would have destroyed us. There was a wholesale side. It was a, it was a nightmare of a bill. Uh, we have a very strong lobby team, very good members that made their phone calls. We do what we had to do. The bill is uh, is put aside right now. It's uh, as of right now. It's it's actually uh, you know sitting on a shelf. It's probably going to come back next year, but we are definitely going to uh, attack it and fight it again. But uh, we're we're proud of the work that we're doing. That I can say you know I'm I'm looking at this bill that I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right while we're talking. This bill had one thing in particular that just you know was an industry killer, and it basically basically just says if it wasn't on the market before 2016, why are they trying to preempt the federal government? They're in the middle of doing this right now. Why would Tennessee and RJR try to push this in a state? Let the states regulate the states and let's, let RJR regulate their cigarette products. Let the Tennessee Smoke-Free Association regulate vape products. That's why I look at it. And Chris, what do you think about the way in which uh, the supporters of this bill were trying to push it through? Well, I mean, if the bill went through, like Danny suggested, 2016, I mean, like I said, I started vaping in 2015. The devices back then weren't great. I mean, they were good for that time. But where things have come to, I mean, I think I'm staring at, I've got one product in here that's from 
that time period that might be legal. Uh, but that's it out of the hundreds of products in here. I feel like that bill would just push people back to smoking. You know, there's there's no restrictions on cigarettes and they're sold either direction from my shop. There's a tobacco outlet. And there's a convenience store across the street over here. And, um, you know, it would have just gone back. I mean, it would just been prohibition. I mean, we did had to we just seen black markets pop up. We're going to see uh, probably more problems with, you know, people trying to mix their own stuff, maybe getting oil-based flavorings instead of uh, um, like VG or PG based. And then therefore we start in volley point two, 2.0, but it, now it is our fault, but it's black market. And that's just a, uh, a side effect of prohibition, you know? Also, if I, if I can interject with that, uh, RJ Reynolds is not stupid. Okay, they're trying to take the vaping products off the market for now so they can get their products in later. It's not like it's a secret what's happening. Okay, they're going state by state, attacking each state. They're actually sending their lawyers to put letters out to vape shop owners in different, oh, there's a state that had a ban. And actually, RJ Reynolds' lawyer sent them a letter and said, hey, cease and desist. And you're talking about a, a tobacco company sending a vape shop a letter instead of a legislator or a law enforcement agency. This is just a, a big tobacco trying to push the, the vape space out, bring their products in later, crush us now, and we're not going to stand for it. I mean, TSFA is the first born state organization in this country, and we have a model that works. I, 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 I seriously would like any of your audience to consider if they have any questions on how to start one or get involved with one, reach out to us, anybody, anytime, go to, you can go right to the website, hit the info button, or you can email me directly, danny at tnsmokefree.org. I'll hook you up with the right people. You need to have an organization that's fighting, plain and simple. Now to both of you guys, isn't it a little too late in some states? I mean, in absolutely some states, yeah. yeah. No, 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 absolutely not. In some states that they banned it though, Chris, yes. Yeah, I think there's there's gonna take like a, you know, an act of Congress to, or act of God yeah. in this particular situation. Uh, but there are a lot. I mean, if you're looking at state by state right now, that's happening. We're watching, you know, last Friday, I think like six states had their bills dropped that they beat, they defeated. So uh, I say, yes, there's hope for a lot of the states. Now, if you're going to bring up something like California where they actually voted on it, no, there's that's going to take a new governor or, you know, a constitutional man, whatever they got to do to flip that. But I think every state has an opportunity to get some vape bills put through uh that'll help them um it, it's very difficult it's harder to create a bill than it is to defeat a bill unfortunately it's much harder to put one through than it is to defeat it yeah uh, well like what danny was saying states like new york you know massachusetts california you know washington these states that have a complete ban and it's gone through uh lawmaking process actually on the books um that's going to be tough like he said it's going to require another governor but states that are still kind of on the edge, I, I agree with Danny 100%. If you don't have an active state org, get one, you know, and and uh, like he said, reach out to us for assistance and guidance um, because it is important to know your lawmakers. It's, it's important to have a good lobbyist to to kind of fight for you. Um, but you got to have membership too to, to pay for all of that. None of this stuff is free. And, uh, but it's just important to get involved, you know, a lot of shop owners, there's a lot of, well, they got it covered. So I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. But you sit back and do nothing, then that's what you get. You get, you know, total bans of everything. And that is just mind boggling to me, you know. And we have that in Tennessee where shops are riding the coattails of the TSFA shops. That happens in a lot of states. Uh, it's up to the state uh, organization to try to come together and recruit. Actually, Chris is phenomenal at going to all the shops 
and discussing it with them and doing recruitment, bringing them into the fold. Uh, unfortunately, there are those shops that just don't give a shit. And I'll just say it straight out. They don't care. They're in it for the money. And uh, it's embarrassing. It's insulting. It pisses me off, uh, especially when we're there and we're fighting every day for that shop to stay open. Uh, but we'll continue to do so. That's that's our calling. That's what we're going to do. This is our passion. This is harm reduction. This is our livelihood. Uh, and, and that's what drives us. So uh, there's a lot of really good state orgs. Brent, I want to let you know there's a lot of really good ones out there, uh, a lot of them. So I just think there's others out there that could use some help or maybe use some guidance and and we could definitely uh, provide them with some of that, uh, whether it be a framework or structure to help them get started. So far, the FDA has denied marketing orders for 99% of the applications for vaping products in the U.S. There are devices and there are liquids under the FDA's purview. With so few products approved, what does that mean for product on your shelves? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, I own my own line, which I have copact, and it's copact in the state of Washington. Um, I'm not going to plug my line or anything, but I have I have a juice line and we have it in the PMTA process and I received an MDO and uh, we got it for something stupid. There was a blurry label. So we had to actually go in. I got a hold of Char uh, and uh, we had to resubmit the PMTA uh, to try to get or resubmit that section of it uh, to get it back into, you know, application process. So the the PMTA in itself is and it's been admitted by just about everybody on the earth and anybody who knows anything about vaping is a convoluted mess. It's just a nightmare of a of, of a process to get put through and you have to have a lot of money. Uh, big tobacco, I think I think there's what 20 something, 21, 23 products on the market right now and they're all owned by by uh, big tobacco, I believe that's been approved. I don't see any liquids on my shelf that have been approved. However, your question was, you know, how much is on my shelf? All my products that come on my shelf comes from distros that those e-liquid lines are going through PMTA. Uh, there are probably some shops that, you know, still have some liquids that are not in the PMTA process. Uh, because it's so hard to get this process through, I think some people are still waiting. Some some juice manufacturers are still waiting. I don't know. Uh, I just know what I'm dealing with as a as a copac. I mean, I, I just don't make liquid. I never did. Uh, it, it's too much of a nightmare right now. And I, I feel bad for the federal uh, um, people. And, and Chris can attest to this because because Chris talks with a lot of the the the, uh, the fighters on the federal side that are dealing like the Greg Conleys of the world, uh, who I spoke with the other day, and he. He's basically in the same boat, you know. They're they're talking about you know center of tobacco control and all the all the issues they have with uh, the misinformation and all the how difficult it is with the PMTA, and you can't get a straight answer uh, answer from the FDA or from the CDC or anything. You can't get a straight answer. So, um, I think basically what the juice companies are doing is they're just putting out their e-liquid and riding it out until they figure out how this process is going to work out. It's not affecting my store. It's not affecting my shelves. I have over 400 flavors in my shelves, or I would say probably 480 flavors in my shelf and probably 60 juice lines. So I don't see Chris having a problem finding juice. I, the PMTA process needs to get addressed quickly um, or get, I wouldn't say address, I would say get a little bit more accessible so it can go through a little bit more quickly. If that, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question, Brent, because everybody's asking the same damn question. The FDA is the only one that has the answer to that. Chris, what are your thoughts on PMTA and product availability? Well, and that's the thing, you know, there's, there's a lot of limbo. Some of these companies have appealed their MDO and some of that's still ongoing. 
Um, but like Danny said, we're getting stuff from legit distros. Um, but without these products on our shelves, we, we're sending people back to cigarettes. So without actually saying it, I mean, technically, you know, I think everybody's just breaking the law if that's what we're doing. You know, the PMTAs, nothing's been approved that's in my store, but uh, our products are still being manufactured and they're still available and my customers still want them and they still, you know, leverage those to stay off of cigarettes and take care of their nicotine uh, needs. And the pre-market, the, the whole PMTA process to begin with, I've never agreed with it. I, I just don't, I, I never, it never made sense to me. Um, because it's just it's so cost prohibitive and a lot of these juice lines they don't have a million dollars to skew or this crazy amount of money to spend on you know it's like just knock off the bullshit we know cigarettes kill people we know that vaping doesn't kill people i mean unless you're vaping stuff like oil or vitamin e acetate or something i mean if you stick motor oil in a vape okay you get a darwin award for that you're an idiot don't do that you know the same right up there with eating tide pods and all that but you know, but these products are safe and, but we're also fighting against this misinformation campaign. And I'm kind of mixing a lot of stuff into your answer here, but, but the PMTA process as a whole, I've just never agreed with it. I've, I've argued with a lot of people about that. They think I'm crazy for not agreeing with it. I, I think it's time to quit playing nice. You know, sometimes uh, I just feel like we keep asking for permission and, you know, we are not killing people. Cigarettes are, and everybody's ignoring this giant elephant right in the middle of the room and nobody's doing anything. This administration, if there's been any talk about smoking uh, or cigarette, you know, changes, it's to reduce nicotine in the cigarette as if nicotine is the issue. Nicotine is no more of an issue than caffeine or something, but it's the tar. So not even thinking out, you know, if we reduce nicotine, people are going to smoke twice as much, meaning they're going to ingest more tar and just a, a greater chance of death from smoking related illness. I mean, it's absolutely insane that this such easy thing to see uh, is so easily missed by people who are in power. It's 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 ridiculous. As far as the P PMTA is concerned in Tennessee, I look at it this way. Keep your nose out of Tennessee. Let Tennessee take care of what Tennessee has to do. Let Alabama, let Georgia, let Kentucky deal with what they have to do in their states. The federal government needs to keep job, their job in there and their lobbyists need to keep their ass out of Tennessee. Let Tennessee govern themselves. There's no reason to bring it to the federal government and then bring it into the state and say, we want the same thing in the state and try to shut us down at the state by state level. So if you bring the PMTA process, basically you're putting the same process on the state as you are at the federal level. Now I'm not having a problem getting juice. I'm having a hard, hard time finding some hardware. It's not that hard but it's still being difficult but it pisses me off when you get rj reynolds pushing my lobbyists down the halls of nashville and i'm like i'm done let's get the fire extinguisher out of our hands time to take it out of our hands i'm done putting out fires it's time to start pushing back chris and i agree with the same thing i'm done they're pushing us around thinking that they can regulate us when cigarette industry needs to get the hell out of our way and let us do what we need to do to save lives and do harm reduction that's what we're here for but everything always goes back. It's a youth problem. It's a youth problem. It's a youth problem. It's a youth problem. That's bullshit. That's not their real issue. Their real issue is we want you out of the industry. We want you out of the industry. And that's what it is. We want to take it over in four or five years. That's exactly where it's, that's exactly what it is. That's my point, my opinion on this. You mentioned problems finding hardware. Is that, is that a result of the PMTA process or is it a result of the, of the fact that they've kind of abandoned some of the manufacturers kind of abandoned the U.S. It's it's the latter. I think I think the manufacturers, unfortunately, and it can left the U.S. market. They made great products. Uh, we've lost a, another uh, Aspires left the U.S. market. We lost some great products in Aspire. Those were the two leading brands we had back in the day. 
And uh, we would love to have them back in the States. If you're listening, we'd love to have you back. Uh, but, uh, you know, you get into the Geek Vape mods and you get into some of the other mods, Smock and, and a few others. They're still making some devices, but they're far and few between. But you're going to get littered with pod devices. I mean, there's a, probably 1,500 different pod devices out there right now or uh, open system pod devices where you can fill them. Uh, all the smaller devices with the salt nicotine. But when you go into the three and six milligram, maybe 12 milligram, and you want to do, you know, uh, an open Zeus tank with a 200 watt mod or an 80 watt mod, it's getting more difficult to find them because the manufacturers uh, are not making them as frequent. And uh, a couple of the distros have left the U.S. So, you know, we'd love to have them back. Now, the PMTA, is that a factor? Uh, that's something that maybe you'd want to discuss with Enikin. And, you know, Dimitri could probably answer that. He's very close with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're seeing maybe three or four companies that are really hanging on to the to the hardware side of the open tank system, not the pod system, but the open tank system. And we're seeing that. I mean, it's getting slimmer and slimmer of a selection on the higher powered mods. What's your understanding of youth use in your area around your shops? So I've talked to both of my kids who are in high school. <clears throat> uh, my, my daughter's actually graduated now, but my son's still in high school. And we actually just had this discussion last week. I asked him, I said, so, well, not a funny story, but we have a, a distribution center also. And so he went over there to help pull some products and, and bring it over. And he walked in with my wife and said, oh my gosh, if you guys weren't good parents, I would be so rich, right? Meaning all the elf bars we have, all the disposables, all that kind of stuff. And um, he doesn't mess with that or whatever, but he, he did say, yeah, he does see him around school here and there. Now his school system in the district we're in, there's a $250 fine if a kid is caught with a device and that's a, and there's a suspension of some sort. I don't know if it's like three days or something. And then I think a second offense is you're expelled from school. Uh, and I think it's a $500 fine or something. So I appreciate the schools having these policies in place because I've been saying this whole time, and a lot of us have been saying this, there's no need to change a law if if you're not enforcing laws that are on the books or create a law if you're not enforcing current law. I mean, it's, it's illegal to buy these things. And around where we're at, we have uh, shops that are owned by, you know, different people. They don't have the same carding policy. I mean, we're 21 and up, period, but we still get moms coming here with their kids who are clearly 16 or younger trying to buy stuff that the kid pointed out when they walked in the door, just stupid. We're not doing straw purchases here either. You know, if you come into our store, we've got cameras around the outside of the building. Um, if we see you get out of the car and you've got a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kid in the car, we're going to ask to see their ID as well. I mean, unless we know the parents, you know, but I'm not risking, you know, my name and my shop's name and fine and stuff like that just because well, some kid wants a vape. But unfortunately, all the other shops around us, I mean, you know, a lot don't have that policy. They don't really care. They don't they don't see tobacco as harmful like they would alcohol. And so therefore their carding restrictions, they just don't they just don't care. But I think, you know, it is an issue, I think. But I think youth smoking is down significantly. Um, you know, I, I think I don't want kids to pick up these habits. I mean, my worst com uh, customer before T21 was the 18 year old kid scratching his arm, asking me, hey, bro, you got that 50, Nick? And it's like, what are you doing, man? A 50, Nick? Seriously, have you ever even smoked a cigarette? Like, that's just awful. But they're not getting it from shops like ours, you know. And so we, we've got some strategies. Danny and I talk quite a lot and we've got ideas and things that we're working on uh, to help combat some of this issue, at least in our area as a test run and to see what it can have in the rest of the state of Tennessee. Yeah, let me elaborate a little bit on that if I could, Brent. 
Uh, I've reached out to uh, the chief of police of both my districts. Uh, I talked to them about what they're finding in their schools and what they're hearing. Um, one of the sponsors for this bill that actually sponsored this bill, uh, and the bill I could put up on tnsmokefree.org if they want to see it, uh, that we had in Tennessee. I can always put that up. It's a public uh, public uh, knowledge. But uh, the conversations that I'm having, and, and I'm getting them from police officers, and I'm scheduled meetings with the sheriffs, is uh, the, the, the senator was concerned that they were finding these vapes in school. And I said, well, you know, the Tennessee Smoke Free Association has, you know, represents over 70 stores and there's probably uh, 350 vape shops, 320 vape shops. And I don't know how many other tobacco shops that sell vape in the state, plus the convenience stores, plus the flea markets and all the other places that this shit sold in. So I tell them, I say, listen, I said, all of our shops are 21 or over to get in. Okay. You can't even walk in the door. So that eliminates the problem immediately. If you can't buy it from the store, that, that eliminates the problem. However, the problem after that is is what's mom doing are they buying it for their kid what's the 21 year old doing and chris touched on it you know you they're they're selling it on social media they're selling it to their friends so there is a little bit of a black market there outside of our shops but i think 95 percent of the problem is coming from age verification at the point of sale i think if you can get that into a 21 or over establishment um uh, that that would definitely eliminate that epidemic they call it which is bullshit uh but i think that that would eliminate that so there's things i cannot discuss and i chris and i you know we had to have a conversation before we went on air that we cannot discuss there's some things that we are planning for next year uh and we're talking with the, the members and the board so um i can't get into details on that i i, I privately yes uh with the national audience not yet and just real quick to go back to something that danny said uh, another, you know, we've got friends with teenagers, same age and stuff. And a lot of them are getting stuff through, like Danny said, like Instagram, you know, and other, other forms like that. And when you're getting stuff that way, then you're talking about illicit black market that can kill you. That's so when you see an article about a fentanyl or fentanyl being in a vape and we're just like, wow, that's how, you know, so that's a scary thing. I think working, like I said, though, with your school boards, working with your sheriff, talking with your and I'm talking to every vape shop owner that you know that's in our organization they should all be beaten with them we know all our state reps I mean I've met with my state reps countless times uh but to sit with your local you know your local superintendent or your local sheriff and and work with your community uh you can help fix that problem find out where the source of that is coming from and help direct them to where they're finding them products because they're certainly not coming from our stores I think all stores around the country should be involved in something like that snitch and tell that's what I say Snitch on the person who's selling it, tell on the person who's selling it, because that person doesn't belong in business. How much responsibility do the regulators have for the belief that vaping is more harmful than smoking? 100%. I mean, I, I no kidding, had a guy come in last week and he came in and he said, I want some e-liquid, but I don't want the kind with formaldehyde in it. And I went, what? <laughs> None of these contain formaldehyde. I don't know where you're getting your information. But this whole notion that, uh, because like Danny mentioned, I talk to a lot of people. I, I meet strangers all day. I just, I'll, if you're smoking or you're vaping, we're having a conversation. That's just, I'm, a, I'm an ass like that. But 
I care about it so much. If somebody's smoking, I want them to find a safer alternative. And if they have this notion that it's just as bad, because I've heard that a lot too. Well, what's the difference? It's just, you know, vaping is just as bad as smoking. And then I got to go through that and explain it to them. But I think these, these commercials on TV with all the veins going crazy through your head and, and all this, you know, these ages, I mean, I started smoking and messing with tobacco when I was 14. So I don't remember having veins going through my heads. And, you know, I saw something today that suggested you have mental illness as a result of this. And, Maybe that explains a lot of things about me. I don't know. But uh, I just I find it disgusting, frankly, uh, when we look to like I told you back in 2019, Brent, I mean, we look to the UK as our leader in this and they're promoting this in hospitals and er everywhere. And it, it's just mind boggling that our public health just refuses to just Google if they're if they're that confused. The information is literally right here on your phone. I mean, it's not hard to find. And. There are studies out there, you know, and now we're seeing more junk studies come out with, with stupid results. But I, all I can say after smoking for 30 years, I've been vaping for over eight now, and I feel great uh, from that perspective. Um, I'm 53 and, you know, I, I don't get winded going upstairs, really. I mean, so it's just it's a game changer for me. And so to have people tell me that I don't know either a my own physiology, physiology or other people's when they come in and their skin's gray and now their skin is like it's supposed to be. And they, they're having active lifestyles thousands and thousands and thousands of times, you know, between Danny and I. I mean, we've seen tens of thousands of people and it's always the same results. So it, it just the misinformation campaign, you know, the American Heart Association, the Lung Association, Center for Tobacco-Free Kids, all these alphabet soup groups, PAVE, you know, a bunch of triggered Karens talking out the side of their head. They don't even know what they're saying. Um, it's extremely frustrating to have customers come in and, and bring up popcorn lung. Oh, my God. I'm so sick of hearing that. Those two words should never go together ever, <laughs> at least as it relates to, to vaping. It's just insanity to me that this same tired propaganda machine just won't quit. It's super frustrating. You know, one thing that uh, Dimitri was really strong on was getting it out there on the consumer level, get the get the advertising out there correctly, get the, you know, the truth about vaping. Uh, unfortunately, the shops at the time was trying to foot a bill to do an advertising campaign that we just quite couldn't afford. I mean, we just couldn't afford to do that and fight at the same time. And Dimitri was like, we need to we need to put out a campaign. We need to stay ahead of these articles. We need to push out some information. But unfortunately, and you got juice manufacturers. I'm going to call some people out right now. We got companies making millions and millions and millions of dollars in this industry. This is a billion something dollar industry across this country and beyond. Where the hell are they? Do, what are they doing with their advocacy money? And I'm not calling them all out because I know I know some of them very well and I know some personally. I would say 80% of the juice manufacturers out there are sitting back in their Ferrari collecting a check. These manufacturers in China, you think they're going to give money? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to speak ill or, or not because I don't know where they put their money. But I can tell you right now, the juice that I carry on my shelves, every one of those companies should be given to either the state or to a federal org to fight and push back in a campaign, a commercial, advocacy, fight the FDA, lawsuits or something. There should be more done, Brent. Uh, we, the one thing the Delta side is doing, the hemp side is doing, is they're getting ahead of what they were going to get smacked with. And you can see all the all the hemp industry starting to write their own bills and get everything ahead because they went through it with most of these people who were in the vape industry at the time. So they went through the whole, you know, these past nine years. So they're getting ahead of it and they're getting legislation written. You know, we had our hemp industry in Tennessee actually uh, have uh, their bill go through the Senate Judiciary Committee. 
um, last week, which was fantastic. It's a start. You say hemp. Um, you're talking about hemp, not cannabis? I'm talking Delta 8 uh, hemp. Yeah, hemp products. Delta 8. Yeah, so we're not talking about THC. I'm not talking like marijuana, no. I'm not talking, not marijuana, the, the farm bill, the hemp the hemp products. The hemp products that uh, that are in some of our vape shops, I mean, some of our shops are purists uh, in the TSFA, which means they strictly sell vape products only. Some of them are, are hybrid shops, which might sell some Delta products. And some of our shops are more to, uh, towards a, a smoke shop and have vape products. So we have a diversification in the TSFA. We're not going to shut anybody out, you know, just because they sell like, you know, Delta flower or anything like that, or a hemp flower, excuse me. So uh, I look at, you know, the hemp industry and the vape industry, you know, as the vape industry is the parent. We're the ones that's been around a while, okay? We've been here since, you know, 2006 or eight, you know, we've been started off. And now here comes Delta or the hemp industry comes along and they look at the mistakes that the vape industry did by not unifying and coming together and putting a bill out there to regulate themselves. Not that we didn't try it's the TSFA. We did try and we've passed a couple of things in the past nine years uh, with Dimitri and the gang. Uh, we've done some really great things, but we weren't able to get anything pushed through. Uh, uh, when 2019 hit a volley hit, it put a smack right on the vaping industry's door. Uh, they use that word vaping as a, it's right at the vape shop. It's right at the vape shop. Instead of a verb, it's a vaping device. You know, we all know it was a THC, a volley, coming from the black market carts. However, the CDC and the FDA, they all just said vaping is killing people. That hurt us bad as far as, you know, in the public's eye. We've been trying to recover ever since. The problem is RJR, Bloomberg, and all those others are putting out billions, or I should say millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to get rid of our industry. They want us gone, flat out, against the science. They're not even... They're not even saying that it's, you know, it is healthy alternative. Although I did hear somebody in the CTC come out and say, yes, we'd rather you vape than smoke. But then they say, yeah, we're putting out a lot of, there's some propaganda out there we could clean up. I saw, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of fake news out there. But I blame that a little bit on us not getting ahead of it and unifying. But now I think it's on the regulatory body that is actually saying that. And Gottlieb said, you know, he, vaping would be great for the healthcare industry. So uh, we, have a, we have a communication issue still uh, and a propaganda problem in this country when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to vaping. Most of the problem when it comes to the information in my mind and after seven years of coverage on this issue is that it comes right, right down to the regulators. So the regulators either are perpetuating uh, the misinformation or they're just choosing not to correct it. And I'm not certain which is worse. From my perspective, uh, I feel that if the um, misinformation campaign uh, benefits their end goal, which I feel is to protect big tobacco and big pharma's interest in this industry, then the propaganda continues, right? Okay, so when it comes to FDA, appropriate for the protection of public health seems to mean only one thing. Are they getting the balance right between benefits for adults versus risk to teens? I look at it this way. If you're looking at the way in the risks from adults to teens, first of all, it's already illegal for, you know, anybody under 21. So enforce a damn law, first of all. Let's just enforce the law. If they're, if they're actually looking at what's the risk benefit from adult smokers to teens? Well, first of all, teens are forbidden to have it by law. So let's just get that out there. We have such a corrupt government all the way around. I don't think this issue is not necessarily, you know, left or right or whatever. I think it's just money, money, money. So if you could say, all right, it's 
21 and over product, what's the health benefit to the adult? Well, the adult's going to quit smoking and not die of lung cancer. We're going to save 580,000 people a year. That's the estimate that we save a year. The risk to teens, well, if they're going to start smoking or start vaping, or if they're going to be smoking and go to vaping, you're still having a healthier alternative, even though they shouldn't be doing it anyway, because it's 21 over, enforce the damn law, put better laws in the books or work at the state level, which we are uh, with the laws that are on the books. So I don't think they're, 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 the propaganda is so, I know they did an anti-smoking thing and don't smoke, and now they're doing an anti-vaping thing, don't vape, but don't lie about what vaping is and what vaping does. And that's the facts. They're lying about what the vape products actually are and the reduction, the harm reduction properties of it. Do we want kids to vape? Absolutely not. Would we rather them vape than smoke a cigarette? Absolutely. Do we want them to vape at all? Nope. We have the worst business model in the world. We take smokers, we transform over to a 12 milligram, 6 milligram, 3 milligram, 0 milligram, and boom, they're not a customer anymore. It's the worst business model ever but we're in it for harm reduction and to save lives. So that question, that pisses me off when I hear that question from people that, not from you, Brent, from people that are sitting at, across from me. I went to the FDA Oversight Committee in DC and I met with the staffer of the FDA Oversight Committee and she did not even know what a vape product looked like. She only knew what a jewel looked like. This goes back to 19 pre uh, when Avali was going on. So they're clueless about what they're really trying to regulate. And then they're saying, well, we need to know what the risks are to the kids according to the health benefit of the, for the adult. Well, uh, first of all, flavors are good. We like the taste of flavors. People don't like the taste of an ashtray. The health benefits are they're 95% safer. And what's the downfall for the kids? They shouldn't be doing it anyway. It's against the law. Okay, enforce the law. That's my answer on that. And then there's other bills we can do and other things we can do. Don't get me wrong. There's, but do it the right way. Don't lie. Don't spread lies and propaganda. Unfortunately, back to what I said earlier, it's corrupt right to the core. I'd like to play a few sound bites and get your reaction from an interview that Dr. Brian King, the new director of FDA Center for Tobacco Products, gave to the American Vapor Manufacturers Association just last month. Let's take a listen. CTP has been describing teen vaping as an epidemic since 2018, um, a word that was chosen using focus groups to heighten the emotional reaction. Um, but since then, teen vaping has plummeted, and today, fewer than 3% of teens vape daily. That's not what the word epidemic means, not clinically, not scientifically, and not in common sense. So how do you expect to be taken seriously by the public as a scientific agency when you continue to use a flatly erroneous term like that? Yeah, so I'm, I believe you're speaking about the CDC, um, and FDA has not used that terminology to use the most recent um, uh, estimates of youth use. Um, I will say um, that I'm an epidemiologist by training, um, so I'm fully cognizant of the definition of an epidemic, um, which is unprecedented increases over what you'd expected baseline. Um, that said, I, I think um, and know that the science has shown a decline in the number of youth users, and, and that's a good thing. Um, over the past couple of years, um, we have seen decline since the peak in 2019. It's still too high. We've got two and a half million um, kids that are still using these products. And based on what we're seeing with other products among kids, including cigarettes um, and, and smokeless and, and, and others, we 
we can achieve those low levels as well, you know, below 2%, you know, one for 2%. Um, I do disagree with the notion that we should only be um, concerned with daily use among kids. Um, we do have research that demonstrate even infrequent use, um, illicit signs and symptoms of dependency. Um, and so from um, uh, my perspective, any youth use of these products is problematic and that, you know, that's how you become a frequent user is, is there's a pathway from intermediary to frequent use. Um, but, you know, regardless, the good news is that it's coming down. I hope that that continues. We certainly have the pandemic effect, which has affected everything, right? We, we see it on a variety of health indicators. So it's interesting to see next year once, you know, kids are now back in school um, more frequently um, and there's potential social sources, whether uh, we see a change in that use. But I, I hope it continues to decline. Um, and as, as I've noted, um, you know, previously, I, I see where we can go based on the use of other products. And I'm hopeful that we can continue um, these types of, of interventions to continue to reduce use use but it's not mutually exclusive from actions to help um, uh, continue um, to address the issue of, of um, harm reduction among adult smokers and, and getting them to quit completely. So, you so on your watch, sorry, Allison, so on your watch, uh, the FDA has decided to no longer use the term epidemic? Um, since I've started, I, I, I haven't uttered it. I'm not aware of any of my staff, um, but um, as, as far as I'm aware, um, you know, we, we have not used the term, um, you know, it's ultimately up to respective individuals. Um, there's certainly um, disagreements among epidemiologists, like there is any discipline, you're going to find people disagree. Um, but in terms of, of the big picture issue, I don't want us to see the forest beyond the trees. And the bottom line is that there's still too many kids using these products. And so whatever you call it, we've got two and a half million kids using the products, and we can do better um, in terms of reducing them. Um, and so I don't want us to get caught up in semantics so much as the big picture. And, and for me, um, we've got more work to do. We've made good progress, um, but we've got to continue to the pedal to the metal while still keeping an open mind around strategies continue uh, to, to benefit adult smokers to get them to quit completely. I think there's a lot of CYA in there. I think there's a lot of, uh, he's not being very frank. Um, you know, his body language is kind of off to me when I'm listening to him talk. I feel, you know, he wants to talk about semantics. I mean, you... <laughs> The basically the in a nutshell, what I take away from that is that if it's if we're not focused solely on kids, I mean, adult smokers never even was part of that conversation, really, for me. And I think I think a lot of that to me comes off as disingenuous. I mean, he knows they're uttering the word epidemic because uh, the CDC, the FDA, I mean, they're on record for saying that, you know, different uh, people over the over this time period. And um, and they've even been pressed on what number qualifies as an epidemic. You know, and they won't answer that question because it's 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 just another shamdemic, I call it. It's just they're trying to pass an initiative or whatever. It's just they leave people like me out. I'm not going back to cigarettes. Like, and I'll have the means if they do a full ban on this. I've I've got a lab that nobody knows about. You know, so I I I will be safe. I will have nicotine. I will have my. But I worry about the people that don't have those resources. You know. Uh, between Danny and I, we know a ton of people. We will always have e-liquid. We will always find stuff. <clears throat> um, just get wire and build our own coils and go back to those days. But uh, I just I feel like the FDA is just that they're not they're not being very genuine here. And Brian King, he's not being genuine at all, in my opinion. 
While you were at the CDC in the mid-2010s, many people's first introduction to you came when, along with Dr. Tom Frieden, you started to voice warnings that vaping products could serve as a gateway to combustible cigarette smoking. Today, of course, high school cigarette smoking is at 2%, a figure that no doubt would have inspired great laughs at any tobacco control conference in 2010 if you predicted that's where we'd be at today. Because uh, back then, one in seven high school youth smoked cigarettes. So with the benefit of seven, eight years of hindsight, in your view, is it a fair conclusion that any gateway into smoking over the last decade has likely been outsized numerically by the gateway out of smoking for youth and young adults? I will say that there's still um, a strong body of evidence that suggests that the gateway does does exist, um, but it's dependent on a variety of different factors. It's certainly not conclusive evidence, um, but there's moderate evidence to demonstrate that. But you also have to use look at the net impact of the science. And so I've said publicly many times um, that you do have some gateway effect. We've seen that through the PATH study and others, but that doesn't mean that every single kid who's using an e-cigarette is going to go on to smoke. Um, there's a variety of factors. That, that impact that. So um, I caution folks against, um, you know, definitive statements like that, that every person is going to transition who use the products. It's certainly happening. But when you look at the net effect, we've, we've definitely seen a decline in overall e-cigarette use. But that doesn't negate the fact that there still may be some kids who are using e-cigarettes that are transitioning to cigarettes. Um, but the net effect at present, um, we are seeing a decline in use. And as I noted earlier, I, I hope that that continues among kids. It's, it's a good thing, um, but we can, we can do better. Yeah, and everything that, or much of your day is spent looking at the 100-word statute that's known as the appropriate for the protection of public health test for the PMTA, for PMTA reviews. Um, this is a question kind of inspired by thoughts of Dr. David Abrams, former, formerly of the Truth Initiative, people like David Levy. Um, does the appropriate for the protection of public health statute require FDA to view teens switching away from cigarettes to vaping as a bad thing? I think that there's a lot of interpretations of APPH, and I think that we have opportunities to continue to, to clarify um, the, the scope of that. I know there's been a lot of calls in the past. Um, I, I do hope for opportunities in the future where we can have public engagement um, on entities um, to identify um, perspectives um, related to um, the, the um, precision around the APPH standard. So you don't, you didn't really necessarily answer the question. Do you think the APPH statute requires FDA to say any teen use of any nicotine product, including a switch from cigarettes to vaping, is a bad thing. Is that required by the statute or is that a policy-based decision? The statute requires us to look at the net benefits and risk when we are making a decision on a PMTA, and that includes evaluating the benefits to adult smokers, but also the net risk to kids. And so we are required to look um, at that relationship. And so in terms of determining the APPH standard, we have to look at the net impact among non-users, and, and that includes youth, which is a vulnerable population. I got to tell you, you know, Greg was trying to nail him down. And this is another typical bureaucrat, just bullshit answer, okay? You get, he's saying net impact of science, then he's going the APPH standard of the benefit and risk against adults to kids. This is not a product that's sold to kids. I, I mean, you just got it. You're not approving this product for a child or a teenager. You're approving this uh, product for an adult. I mean, I watched that whole video, by the way. I saw the whole video at length. Uh, Greg and his team, that team did a fantastic job trying to drill him down. And he was dancing around that thing the whole time, just being a typical bureaucrat. 
Uh, I'm not saying that he's, you know, not doing some good things, but I don't know him personally. Uh, I know that uh, CDC and the APPH and Standard and, and uh, you know, it's just a bunch of think tanks and a bunch of, you know, what's the science? What's the science? What's the science? Anybody could put a science study together, Brent, and say this works for this or this works for this. The fact of the matter is we're not trying to pass these products through for kids. This is not for kids. What's the risk to kids? There should not be a risk to kids. If adults are using this product and we know it's a safer alternative for adults, if the child or the teen, whatever they want to call it, uses it, it's still safer than smoking. We're not trying to regulate this product for teens. We're trying to regulate it for adults. They got this so backwards. What's the risk to the kids? The kids shouldn't be taking it. It's There is no risk, okay? The risk is what is the benefit for the adult? That's what we should be looking at. It feels upside down. It, it's ass backwards. It's completely, there's no common sense right now. And not just vaping or whatever. There's no common sense in the world. And this, this whole place is crazy about it. Common sense dropped off about four or five years ago. Everything just started to go, okay, we don't know nothing. What's what's up is down. What's down is up. This Science, you can't trust science. I don't trust the CDC. I don't trust the WHO. I don't trust the NIH. I don't trust the United States government telling me shit right now. The FDA, all the three-letter government, you know, I don't trust them all. They're all think tanks and money bureaucrats. So if they want the truth, get the science from the people that have actually done the science. We've got the actual science. If they want the information, come to the vaping associations. We have the information. We have the customers in our stores. We deal with these people every day. They want to regulate somebody they don't even know exists. They're trying to regulate a product they don't even know what it looks like. So, you know, Greg and his team were did a fantastic job with some very great, very good questions in that whole interview. And I advise anybody, if you put a link to that, they need to watch that video, Brent. Uh, and he danced around it, you know, trying to just be, you know, be nice to them. And just he couldn't give a straight answer. Yeah. When they talk about the science, what they don't ever point out is that it's social science that they're describing. They're not talking about physics and doing an experiment right. about you know, balls dropping and gravity and stuff like that. It's social science. It's statistical orientated. It's all based on assumptions uh, that are being made before they go in to their data analysis. And, you know, in that last uh, answer, I mean, he basically said that gateway, there is no science. There is no conclusive science that there's a gateway, but it's still happening. We know it. Again, they're not on the ground. They're a bunch of think tanks and they have a bunch of people thinking they're doing real science when all they need to do is gather up and get a data from us. I mean, they just need to get the data from us. I think it's gotten so uh, so left and right in this country and so, you know, everybody's split. You know, I'm in the middle. I'm an independent guy. I'm an independent thinker. You know, I vote on my issues. I believe, you know, in God and all that. And, and I have my own way of thinking, you know, but if somebody tells me this apple is hanging on this tree and I see that apple hanging on that tree, guess what? There's a freaking apple hanging on that tree. But if the apple's on the ground and they keep telling me the apple's hanging on the tree, I'm going to call them a liar and they're a dumbass and they don't know what they're talking about. And that's exactly what we got going on right now. They don't know what's up and what's on the ground. They don't know nothing because they're not, they don't have people in our, in our organizations talking to us. You know, PMI, uh, Philip Morrison International split off. And what they're trying to do is at least work with us and talk with us. I'm not saying we're best friends, but you know what? They're in the harm reduction and that's a, that's a tobacco company. And they're actually fighting for our industry as well. So, you know, that's somebody who's going, okay, we got common sense. We know this is a good thing. 
maybe we should talk about the truth. And what's the truth? It's harm reduction. It's another alternative for adults. I'd like to add, too, that, you know, Danny kind of touched on this, but this isn't a left or right issue or a racial issue. I mean, I guess some could argue it's somewhat of a socioeconomic issue. Poorer people tend to smoke more. But at the end of the day, it'd be hard pressed to find anybody on this planet who, in one form or another, that they've had a family member that's been impacted by a smoking related illness. And so it impacts everybody, regardless of what continent you're on and, you know, whatever. It It's a big issue. And, and that's what's so baffling to me that we, we bury the actual science and, and uh, you know, and just go with, like you said, social science, you know, what's popular, let's virtue signal this, or let's do that. I mean, it's, 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 it's insane. We've, we've had shops that have come and gone that weren't in it for the right reasons, weren't in it for harm reduction. We have some that had struggled through COVID that we've lost. You know, some shops come and go. Uh, majority of the shops that go are not in it for the right reasons. We know that. Advocating for the harm reduction is why the shops are still standing and are still strong. The guys that are in the TSFA and other state orgs and in other federal organizations, those people know what they're talking about. They're on the ground dealing with these people. I can't express it enough that if they would get an, if they would get these organizations together and talk to them and say, hey, where are we at with this issue? Instead of doing think tanks and pseudoscience and, you know, getting all these uh, tobacco commit was a campaign free kid, whatever that one's called. There's so many of them. It's ridiculous. It's just a bunch of people that are anti-vapors that want tobacco basically to dominate the industry and, and, and knock us out. I, I just, Brent, I'm very passionate. Every, every shop owner that's still standing right now, I believe that's in an organization is very passionate. I know all of our members are very passionate. We're not in, we have to make money now, obviously, because we're in it and we got rents to pay. But our, our goal when we opened this job and opened our stores was to do harm reduction, save people's lives. I mean, I quit smoking through vaping. I quit dipping through vaping. My in-law, my father-in-law smoked 55 years. We gave him a vape kit. He quit. That's what made me make the decision to open my store in 2013. So, you know, if they think that we're not on the ground and talking to these people, they come to my wall, they go on my store and they look at my back wall. I have hundreds and thousands of packs of cigarettes that have been signed over over the years from people who have quit. So the impact of the youth epidemic and of this and the regulation of this and of this, it's basically harm reduction. And the youth, guess what? You're not 21. Enforce the damn law. Pass these products, get them in the hands of adults so adults can have an option to quit smoking. Stop playing around. You're playing with people's lives. Well, I, I think it's time for us, like I said earlier, to put down the fire extinguisher, pick up the damn Pick up the damn energy, get in the halls of Congress and start pushing RJR back, Altria back and say, listen, get out of our space. This is not your space. This is our space to regulate our industry. Let us do what's best for our customers and our surrounding areas, deal with our communities and get out of our way. They're going state by state, trying to destroy it at state level while the federal government is still regulating it. It doesn't make sense. It just back off, just back off. Let us do our thing. And we will have a surprise update for the next video. I'll, I'll be sharing some more information. I can't do it now, but um, Chris and I and the board, we need to get together with our lobby team and uh, we're working on some stuff and I'm going to be sharing that. We have, And there's some great uh, members out there that uh, can reach out to me. Anybody wants to talk, just Danny at tnsmokefree.org, Chris at tnsmokefree.org.